as I mentioned, this is uh, the first Sunday of 2024, and so Happy New Year. And last week we started, we returned to our series in the Gospel of Matthew. So the Gospel of Matthew is actually the first book of the New Testament where a um, it talks about Jesus' life, his teachings, and his death. And we've been going through that book for the last over a year. And we return to it because we come to a section, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where Jesus, it's part of a larger section called the Olivet Discourse. That's just a fancy term for Jesus talking on the Mount of Olives. And he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them about the end times, about his return, because He's about to be going away. He's about to be the next section is he's betrayed. He's arrested the crucifixion, all of that. And so they're asking him about uh, the end times, about his second coming. And so we return to this section because it is as we look at a new year, it makes us wonder, well, 2024 is a new year. What if it's the last year? And, and not only that, at Christmas time, we start to think of Jesus first, first coming, his advent. It makes us think about his second coming. And as we talked about last week, whether Jesus returns in 2024 or we go to him, you know, through our death, that for some of us, 2024 is going to be our last year. So what do we do with that? And so we looking at this scripture, this um, chapters 24 through 25, again, this is Jesus. He's talking about, okay, there will be a time when I return. It will be the last year, and it could be 2024. And as we're at the end of this discourse, then we'll take another little break, pull, uh, return to it right before Easter, as we look at the, the Jesus crucifixion, all of that in the Gospel of Matthew. We we look at this section where Jesus, he's ending this talk about the end of days with the day of judgment. Um, but before that, so that we understand it, before I read the scripture, some of the main points that he, Jesus makes in this, again, all of it discourse, number one is don't be led astray. Don't be led astray in between the time of Jesus first coming. And then again, he, that's Christmas, but then he uh, dies, rises from the dead, ascends to God. That's his first coming. The time in between that and his second coming, don't be led astray. There'll be false Christ. There'll be many things that happen, but don't be led astray in the meantime. The second main point he makes is no one knows the day or the hour of his return. So make sure that we need to make sure that we are ready at all times because no one knows the day or time. Some people make false predictions, but no one knows that day or time. So we need to be ready at any moment because he will certainly return, but we also certainly don't know when. And then Jesus tells a couple of parables that emphasize um, that in how to be ready is we're ready by being faithful with what God has given us until that unknown but certain day that he returns. And then we meet him. We stand before him. Again, whether he returns or we return to him, we are going to stand before Jesus one day. So today we go to the scripture. And again, it's Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. You might want to get there in your Bible because again, I don't have the overlays uh, or, or pull it up on your smartphone. Today, Jesus is going to talk about, well, but what is that being ready? What does that really actually look like? And we talked about a mindset of that Jesus is, you know, God is God. We are not. We talked about that last week. But what does Jesus actually want us to do to be ready? Um, when we stand before him at his return, what should we have been doing? That's 
what Jesus answers in this next section of Matthew uh, 25, verses 31 through 46. Again, I'm going to read it um, and just listen but or, or read along if you can. Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those, this is verse 41, uh, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or, or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, uh, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, the least one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus here, and that's the end of Jesus. Again, all of it discourse, his sermon, and then it goes into his betrayal, his arrest, all of that stuff. But he closes this sermon on the end of days on his return by setting the scene at the final judgment. Jesus, he returns to reign uh, over God's eternal kingdom. And then all the nations of all times and places gather before this king, before Jesus uh, and the Lord and before his glorious throne. And they, and they gather there to be judged. And the Lord then judges the people. Some will enter and inherit his eternal kingdom and others will be told to depart. Again, eternal life versus eternal separation from God. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that might be surprising to you and because you often think of Jesus as only talking about unicorns and rainbows. But, but no, here, uh, Jesus' audience, his original audience, wouldn't be shocked. There was common belief in that day that when God returns, then there will be a judgment. He will take away all that's not righteous, all that's not good or just, um, and he will establish his righteousness and his kingdom um, with the people, with, with his people. So that's not that wasn't surprising to them. It might be surprising to us, but what was surprising to them at the time of, of Jesus speaking was the criteria that the king uses, and because both groups are surprised. So the, the um, when the king in verse thirty five he he says, "Hey, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came to me and." Or you didn't do those things. And they, they, they say, wait a minute, I don't remember doing that to you, king. I mean, you're king, you're, you're, the, you're the Lord. I would remember if I gave you food or whatever. 
Um, but I don't remember doing any of that stuff to you. It, it's interesting. It reminds me that oftentimes we remember if we meet like a celebrity or a famous person, but we don't remember the meeting just the average people. I have a friend named Jared whose favorite uh, actor is uh, Jake Glidenthal. I think that's how he pronounces his last name. He's been in several things, uh, but he opened the door for him one day in New York or something. And, and he met him, he took a selfie and all that. And, and, and he really remembered meeting this famous person, but he doesn't really remember, like there's other people he opened the door for. There was other people he met, those kinds of folks, he don't quite remember holding the door open for them, but he does remember, um, holding the door open for one of his favorite actors. And so that's similar to what's going on here is that the uh, the people say, wait, we don't, we would have remembered doing this stuff for you, but we don't. And then the king answers this in verse 40 and verse 45, uh, he answers them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Or you didn't do that, you know, as you didn't do it to the least of my brothers, you didn't do it to me. And so that's very, that's a surprise where the, the king is saying that what we do to the least, we do to the greatest because the king is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. The Lord is the greatest. And on the day of judgment, we, he's saying, yeah, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. That's, that's astonishing, isn't it? And, and so the question becomes, well, what is Jesus? I mean, when he, who is he referring to? And I think that, you know, when you look at Matthew's usage of, the least of these, my brothers, that in Matthew, least of these brothers usually refer to Jesus, uh, those who believe in Jesus, Jesus' disciples. Uh, now, we're going to talk about why this can really apply to all people uh, because of other scriptures. But just when we read Matthew, we're thinking, all right, what's Jesus getting? What's the emphasis there? We don't want to jump and assume we know. We want to look at, all right, what does Matthew mean? And in Matthew's meaning, um, he usually uses those terms to refer to those who are, again, Christ followers. And this makes sense because at the when, when you think about the day of judgment, when we all stand before Jesus, all the nations, most people right, will not have actually um, fed and clothed Jesus because Jesus' earthly ministry was only 33 years in Israel. He didn't really go much out of, the, of there. So most people who are standing before him will have interacted with him through someone who represented him, someone who brought the good news um, to him. And in although that doesn't resonate with us if, if when we were in the Western world, because Christianity has influenced the West so much that, um, you know, uh, Christians aren't the least of these. But in many countries and in many times, um, Christians would have been the least of these. They were persecuted. They were those who, because they trusted in Jesus, many times they lost everything. And so Jesus is here saying, if anyone comes in my name, bringing the message, even the least of these, then, and you, uh, you feed them, you clothe them. It's as if you're doing this to me, it shows your faith in me. And this really resonates with the time as well, because if you read some of the Roman historians, um, they would criticize Christians. They would say, oh, this big movement, this Christianity thing is growing. But the, the people who are really drawn to it, you know, are slaves and women. Uh, that was their way of putting down Christians. And indeed, one of the, 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 the big growth in Christianity came in those groups. And at that time, they were considered lesser. They were considered the least of these. So when they come and they bring Jesus' message, Jesus is saying, how do you receive them? Because how you receive them is a reflection on how you receive me. All right. Now, 
and also if this interpretation is correct, then when we look at this, some of you who are Protestants and, and very familiar with the scripture, you might, might have thought, well, you know, Jesus seems to be judging people based on their works, not by their faith, right? On, on how you treat other people. Um, but we know from the other scriptures that, uh, for instance, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. So you see, we, we see here with this interpretation that um, there is a, a, a close connection throughout the Bible between um, our how we treat others, and especially how we treat the household of faith, and how we relate to the master. How we relate to the Lord is how we relate to others. And that the Bible also talks about if we have true faith, that will produce good works. That will, our relationship with God will affect how we relate to other people. And so it's not that we're saved by our works, it's that we're saved by grace, And but that how we treat other people, and especially how we treat those who bear Christ's message, um, especially if we're not in a dominant Christian culture, it, it reflects on how we have received Jesus. And so that's what I think Matthew is most likely referring to here, um, is that that's one of his emphasis, emphases. But there are many other passages, and especially in the Old Testament, that say, well, it's it's God's will for, yes, to tr tr uh, treat God's people well, but it's also God's will for to treat all kinds of people well. Everybody, our neighbors, um, and whoever your neighbor is, is the person next to you. And But though, especially to treat those downtrodden and needy people well. Uh, so let me share with you a couple other scriptures. So for instance, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, P Jesus may have been echoing this passage when he spoke. It says, so Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Interesting here, it says God is, you know, the great and mighty God, but yet he gives food and clothing to who? Those in society that are downtrodden, like the widow. And in that day, if your husband died, your means... They were the breadwinners, and so you would be needy, or the orphan, the, your parents, go, or the sojourner, the immigrant, someone who is no longer has the support structures of their home country, and so therefore they're in need. And God is saying here that He, um, He's He's a great God, and He does justice for them, right? Uh, or what about Malachi three five? Uh, this was written centuries after Deuteronomy and centuries before Jesus spoke. But again, I think Jesus is echoing these sentiments. Uh, it, Malachi 3, 5 says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. Okay, Jesus was talking about judgment, oh, day of judgment here. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely. Okay, that was like, okay, 10 commandments. God's judging those who, you know, um, bear, bear false witness, you know, the, the 10 commandments. But then look what he does. It says, and against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So here he's saying he's coming, and you know when he judges, he'll he'll look at how we treat others, especially those who are the least of these, those who are downtrodden. So even though this passage in, in Matthew may focus on the least of Christ's disciples, when we take the whole Bible into account, we would say that all right, God, when he looks in order to be ready for Christ's return, because that's the context of this passage. Um, He's, we're ready by how we treat other people. 
that Christ judges our faithfulness to him by how we treat other people, especially those in the household of faith, and especially those who are the least of these, those who can do nothing in return for us. It's very easy to treat those people well who can uh, help us financially or socially because we know oh, if I help them, they'll help me, a sort of a quid pro quo thing. It's easy to be treat those kinds of people well, but Jesus is talking about treating people well who, again, to, can do really nothing, can do nothing for you. They're more needy than, um, than giving because of their situation. So I think that's amazing when we look at this. This is such a challenge to us because when we look at the typical assessment of right, who's faithful to Jesus, who's, you know, who's ready for his return, both back then and now, we, we kind of prop up people who say, oh, they really know their scriptures, right? They've memorized it all. Or they, that person can really contend for the faith. They can argue against uh, those who dispute, uh, you know, the faith. Or that person never misses a church service. Or that person is so skilled they can really draw a crowd and, and cause people to follow them and, and, uh, uh, and follow Christianity. It, these are all things, for instance, I was trained in in seminary to do better at. Uh, but what's interesting is here, this, Jesus is not saying that's not the measure of faithfulness. That that's not being ready for Jesus' return. We are ready for Jesus' return by how we treat other people, but particularly the least of these. Wow. And, and so when we when we look at that scripture, we say, all right, well, how am I treating other people? That's a whole different thing than how we normally assess. All right, does that person have knowledge? Does that person have skill or charisma? that those things don't make us ready. Jesus is saying what makes us ready for his return, what he's going to look for, what it actually looks like, is how do we treat the person right in front of us? And especially, how did we treat the least of these? So who are the least of these in our society? Um, well, those who maybe need a lot, but really can't benefit us. So people who are institutionalized, right? Whether that's in jail or in uh, nursing homes, uh, the, the homeless, uh, the, the refugee or immigrant, uh, the poor, widows, orphans, the abandoned. So when we're looking at, all right, who, am I being faithful? Am I ready for Jesus' return? We need to look at how am I treating the least of these? Both as a church and as individuals, we need to look at that. Now, Second Baptist Church, one of the things that we do is, what are we doing for the least of these? We um, I think of Missing Row Ministries. Uh, that is a, a uh, ministry that we partner with uh, Stony Brook Community Church in South Hadley. Um, and they go to nursing homes, especially people who are memory impaired. They, they are just present with them. They sing with them. They pray with them. Even though these folks are, they're, they're, they're starting to forget. And a lot of people are like, well, they, you know, we just tuck them away. Oh, these are the least of these that we don't tuck them away. We, we want to um, bring them. We want to bless them. Um, and as much as you've done it to least of these, you've done it to God. I also think of uh, yesterday, a group of people went to Springfield Rescue Mission and the homeless there. A lot of folks just want them to be out of sight, out of mind or between Bridges Ministry or our um, Clearway, the Clearway Clinic we support. All of these ministries look, seek to um, support the least of these. Now, before we go patting ourselves on the back, we should be careful in that the when Jesus tells this message, it's very personal that it's personally how do we relate to the Lord is how we personally relate to other people, the people right in front of us. And I say this because we can think of programs 
or even frame it in terms of politics and, and, but throwing money at a, a problem so we don't have to personally be involved. It can soothe our conscience to say, oh, I'm doing this, but we can still not treat the person right in front of us well. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's yes, how do we interact with that person? And, and yes, the partnering with people to have programs where we, we partner again, it acknowledges our own limitations in knowing that we really want to help and not hurt. That, that I've met too many Christians, I've done this too many times myself, where we've helped someone, but we really, because we didn't know what we were doing, really enabled them to continue to harm themselves or harm others. And instead of saying, all right, I want to partner with these people so I can truly help them long term in a sustainable way. I'm not just doing this to soothe my conscience. I actually want to help that person. And so I'm actually going to get involved as much as I can. And some of that time, that means helping, uh, connecting with partners. And so we don't want to frame this in just terms of programs to make ourselves better. We definitely don't want to frame it in terms of political terms. Uh, in politics, because we often pawn off our responsibility on other people, onto the government, really, and turn this into, hey, what should someone be doing, whether it's a program or whether it's the government? Jesus here is saying, it's not, it's not, it's what are you doing? What am I doing personally? Uh, what What is our church doing? Who? How are we treating the person right in front of us? So instead of first applying the scripture to politics or programs, again, we need to apply it personally. That's the thrust of Jesus' teaching here. How do you actually treat the person in front of you, and especially if that person is someone in our, that our society overlooks, someone who's marginalized? Those, especially those people who don't really benefit us financially or socially. Our treatment of God's messengers, our treatment of his image bearers, because every human being bears the image of God. A lot of times we dehumanize people, and so and it gives us an excuse not to treat them well or to disregard them. But every human being is made in the image of God. And so here and throughout Scripture, we see that our relationship to other people reflects upon our relationship with God. And if we've truly trusted in God, then that changes how we relate to other people. For instance, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 39, just a few chapters before this, someone asked Jesus, what are, you know, basically Jesus gave the Bible in a nutshell. He's like, oh, you want to know the Bible? Um, you can summarize the whole scriptures in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is a connection between uh, our faith in God and our love for God and how we treat other people. So that question it, 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 that's how we're ready for Jesus, that's his measure of faithfulness, then we need to examine ourselves and, and think, you know, how did you treat, for instance, that person in the drive-thru who was giving you attitude? Did you give them attitude back? Because, hey, they just work at a drive-thru. You know, they're minimum wage worker and they're treating me like this. And so we think that gives us license to treat them poorly because we takes a society's cue that somehow our worthiness as people is, is attached to our income. That's not scriptural. Rather, Jesus is saying, all right, the least of these, the least that have that least money, that have the least means, all of that, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So how are we treating that person in the drive-thru? How are we treating that family member who might be annoying us? Or that person in church who disagrees with us, and, and so we end up gossiping about them or, or, or giving them the cold shoulder. So the question is, are, you know, are we being kind, hospitable, generous in our day-to-day -day interactions? 
because what we do to God's image bearers, we do to him. And I know some of us, we often think, yeah, but I mean, it's one thing to love God and to treat God well because he's perfect and holy, but people, they sin against us. Sometimes they do us dirty. They're just, and so it's hard to love them. And yes, that is true. But then we still look at the other scriptures. For instance, the Lord's prayer tells us what? We, um, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, um, you know, forgive us our debtors as we forgive now I can't even remember the Lord's Prayer. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, that there's a relationship between God, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And that even goes to forgiveness. So that to love others, to treat others well, even when they do us wrong, is to forgive. There's always that connection throughout Scripture that, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, but yet, when we're truly trusting in God, it makes a difference in how we treat other people. So is that our assessment? We need to switch our assessment to what it means for us to be ready, what we look up to. Um, and we, we kind of hold up people who are knowledgeable, people who are skilled, and instead say, no, our measure of faithfulness, our measure for readiness is love, is loving other people, loving the people right in front of us. Jesus says this also in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we are faithful, we are ready for Christ's return, because again, that was the, that's what he's talking about in our Matthew scripture, by how we treat other people especially how we treat those in the household of faith, especially we, how we treat those who are downtrodden, those who are the least of these. And I think this is timely because with all the events, and I, and I prayed about it in the Middle East and in Israel, many people have come to me and said, you know, Pastor Joe, this could be the last year. All of these things could be happening and Jesus could return. And that's true. And we should be ready at all times. But they also say, well, you know, so I want to study this more so that I can be ready. And although it's great to study more, and, and, and so you, you, but being ready here isn't about knowing more. As Jesus says clearly here, being ready is by treating the person right in front of you well, especially if they're looked down on or needy. So if all of those events have caused you to be you know, concerned that Jesus might return. Don't scurry around trying to figure end times information out. Jesus says you want to be ready. You treat that person right in front of you well. So this week, um, think about that. Uh, think about, I want to be ready. I want to be faithful. Then that person you're interacting with, even if they're a bit difficult, that's who God has put in your life at this time to show his love. So if this is our last year, if 2024 is our last year, let's be found faithful by treating others well, the person right in front of us. All right, well, let's pray to close our service out. Dear Lord, we confess that so many times we are concerned with just information, with knowledge, when you call us to, to love to love you, to love others. We confess, Lord, the person right in front of us, maybe the person sitting right next to us, our family member, we've not treated them well. So we pray, Lord, that for you, we, we thank you for your forgiveness. 
We thank you for this scripture that causes us to come to you and ask for forgiveness and cleansing so that we would be a part of your people who enter into your inheritance, Lord, because of what you've done. We repent now, Lord. We want to be ready if this year, 2024, is our last year. We want to be ready for the reality that one day we'll stand before you, whether it's you return or we go to you in death. We confess we all fall short. So we pray that in the days remaining, we would not just trust in your grace and mercy. We do that, Lord. But that trust would cause us to live differently, to love you more, but also to love the person right in front of us. So, Lord, this week, we pray you would help us to love our neighbor. And especially, Lord, love the least of these, the person right in front of us. We thank you, God, that you call us to reflect your love to your image bearers all over the world. And we lift up, Lord, those image bearers, those downtrodden, those who are suffering, those who people might consider, you know, below them. We lift them up to you and pray for your strength, Lord. We pray that you would bring justice. We know you're the only one who can do that for true and, and, and for real and permanently. And so we long for your return. But until your return, Lord, may we be found ready. May we be found loving to you and to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.